Now, some of you have asked if I could subtly or not so subtly work in score updates, and others of you have said I'm DVR in the game. I don't want to know, so I can't win, so I'm not going to do either one. If you want to know, you can ask me. If you don't want to know, I'm not going to tell you. There's two shows that Brooke and I have started to watch this fall. Normally, we don't watch shows together. I don't know if you're like this in your relationship, but uh, my wife and I, we have very different tastes in terms of what we enjoy. And if we can actually find a show that we both like, then one of us is, is just too busy to watch it or tired or not in the mood. It, it's just, it's exhausting. Uh, to try to watch a show with somebody. I know, first world problem. But we decided, hey, we're going to give this a shot, and we're going to try to find two shows to watch together, two shows that excited us both this fall that were brand new, and we were going to try to watch, watch them. And so we made a concerted effort to do that. And this week we sat down and we watched the second. And they've both been horrible. They've both been absolutely awful. Like, we were all excited about this. No, we commit. We're going to actually do this. We're going we're gonna to make this a priority. We're going to spend this time together. One of us isn't going to race ahead of the other. We're going to be patient when we have to be patient. And we tried twice, and it's apparently just not meant to be. It's horrible. Have you ever gone to a movie that you were really excited about? And you, you go in and you buy the ticket and you're like, ah, oh, there's the $18 popcorn, but it's worth it. And you get the just, it, I mean, it's dripping with butter and you have to put the two napkins on your jeans so you don't have a grease spot on your jeans from all the butter just seeping through the, the bottom of the bag. And you get the giant drink and you sit down and you're so excited. And then about 15 minutes in, you're like, oh, this is not at all what I thought it was going to be. I have a confession to make. On two occasions in my life, I have chosen to see the band Nickelback in concert. Like, I know, it's embarrassing. But in, on two times in my life, I have made the decision. Now, granted, they were opening for other bands that I wanted to see, but I'm the guy, hey, we bought the concert ticket. And both times I was like, oh, this cannot end fast enough. And so what do we do? What do we do when the things that we think, this is going to be an escape, this is going to be something I can do to relax, this is going to be something that entertains me, what do we do when even that fails to satisfy? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. If you have your phones or your tablets, I know you're not on the Bible app right now, you're streaming the game, but just keep it, just keep it in mute, thank you very much. But at the next TV timeout, feel free to download the Bible app and install it on your phone. It's a free resource in the app store of your choosing, and it's a fantastic resource. And within it, there's a feature called the events feature, and you can follow along with us that way. If you have a traditional Bible with you, we're going to be in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. We started last week in the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to today look at Ecclesiastes chapter 2, so you can turn there in your Bible about halfway through the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. What we saw last week when we started Ecclesiastes was we saw that Ecclesiastes was written by King Solomon, who accomplished all kinds of wonderful things in his life, accomplished more than any of us ever could. And yet, at the end of his life, as he's doing an inventory of all that he's seen and all that he's done, he says, it's all vanity. It's all vanity. And we saw last week that if there is this longing within us, we all try to fill it with so many different things, but ultimately, anything short of a real, vibrant relationship with Jesus is going to ultimately lead us wanting more and longing for more. And on the heels of that is where we're going to pick up today in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 2, starting in verse 1, we read these words from Solomon. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. So we saw last week that accomplishments didn't fill the longing in Solomon's life. We saw that sexual relationships didn't fill the longing in Solomon's life. We saw that wealth didn't solve the longing in Solomon's life. We saw that prestige and position didn't solve the longing in Solomon's life. And so now today we get to chapter 2. And right off the bat we see what's the solution? What's the next thing that Solomon's going to try? And the next thing is I tried to be entertained. I tried to be entertained, but even that, even that longing for enjoyment, it didn't produce fulfillment. Even that longing for the, for the escape and the enjoyment didn't produce the euphoria. It didn't produce the peace that he was looking for. And he continues, I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? A set of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? And I don't know about you, but when I read these verses, I think of some of the most gifted comedians that I have ever seen, whose work I find absolutely hilarious, who can make me laugh, and who, when you look at their life, it's absolutely tragic. Because there are people who are absolutely hilarious, and yet they are tortured souls. And there's no shortage on the list. I mean, just a couple of the first names that popped into my mind were Robin Williams and Chris Farley, Wisconsin boy. You think these, some of the performances that these guys put forward, I mean, when you think of Saturday Night Live, you think of Chris, at least I do, you think of Chris Farley. I mean, the guy was hilarious. I can still quote to you most of living in a van down by a river. And some of you might question whether or not that's a virtuous thing to claim. And absolutely it is. Absolutely it is. But you look at their lives. They weren't defined by people that could adjust to their success and be satisfied. There are people who could make everybody laugh. And yet themselves were tortured. And they couldn't find peace. And here's Solomon. He's done it all. And he says, I'll try to be entertained. I'll try to find enjoyment that way. I'll try to find that to be my escape. He says, nope. That doesn't do it for me either. I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart's still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. And so laughter doesn't work. And now Solomon comes to the realization that we all reach at some point in our lives, that, that realization that I'm going to die. Growing up, you feel invincible. And you, you kind of know in your mind, I'm going to die. But it hasn't really set in. And I remember in my life when this really set in for me. My wife was pregnant with our oldest child. I was about to turn 30 years old. And I, I, just, I had just lost the fourth student in four years of student ministry. Preparing for her funeral, 
and seeing my wife being pregnant and turning 30. I just remember that was the hardest birthday for because I really had to come to terms with my mortality. And that was the time where it happened in my life. And here Solomon is, is coming to that realization. He's going back in his life and he's remembering the point in his life where he had to come to terms with the fact that, oh, yeah, death's undefeated. And at the time Solomon wrote this, really undefeated. Now, Jesus would go on and prove to us that even death can be defeated. But for all of us who are not divine, death is undefeated. And it's coming for us all. Solomon thinks back to when that realization occurred to him. And his coping mechanism was an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. Maybe some of you can relate. And that's how he tried to numb the pain. For some, it's an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. For some, it's other substances. For some, it's burying yourself in achievements and accomplishments. For some, it's burying yourself in sexual relationships. For some, it's just trying to earn as much money as you possibly can. For some, it's just let me turn this all off and let me be entertained and let me not even think about it. They're all coping mechanisms, and they all impact us differently, and you might have experienced one or a collection of some of them or all of them where Solomon is. Mortality's on his mind. Peace has escaped him. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. He says, look at what I've accomplished Look at what I've achieved. I have lived the life that people dream about. When people sit down and they say, what do I want to accomplish in my life? He says, I've accomplished it. I've accomplished that and more. There is not a dreamer who could dream of something grander than what I have experienced in my life. You can't top this. You cannot top what I have done in my life. I mean, look at the list. He's built houses, he's planted vineyards, gardens and parks, pools. He had people working for him, great possessions, concubines, you name it, it's there. And it isn't enough. He says, I've accomplished all kinds of amazing things. And here's what's, here's what's so tragic about this. As we can look at Solomon's life and we can say, well, yeah, I mean, look at what Solomon accomplished and we recognize that, that God was the missing part in his life. So, of course, there's this longing. And that's all accurate. But this is the sobering reality. If we go to 1 Kings 6 and 1 Kings 7, we don't have time to turn there today, but this week, if you have some time, I'd encourage you to check out 1 Kings 6 and 1 Kings 7. They tell us in detail of two of Solomon's greatest projects. 
of two of Solomon's greatest projects. The first is the temple. The amazing temple that Solomon oversaw the building of for the worship of God. And this is where we have to pause our narrative and we have to recognize that we can do great things in the name of God and still be distant from him. We can still do great things in the name of God and personally be distant from him. 1 Kings 6 talks about the incredible temple. And Ecclesiastes 2 shows us that the heart behind the one who orchestrated the temple didn't have the true connection with God throughout his life. 1 Kings 7 talks to us about the palace that Solomon built. And as incredible as the temple was, palace was even more incredible, and that tells us something about Solomon's mindset too. And this is the result. When we don't put God first in our lives, when we don't have the relationship with God, and we think doing things in God's name are as important as a vibrant personal relationship of walking with God. And we see the result here. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done. And the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. He says, I've acquired everything. I've acquired everything I ever wanted. I've acquired everything I could possibly hope for, and I'm still not satisfied. Here's where I just want to ask the question, is there anything worse? Is there anything worse than getting everything you dream of and still not being fulfilled? I mean, if you haven't achieved everything that you desire to achieve, at least you can still hold on to that dream. At least there's still something to aim after. At least there's still something that, that encourages you to keep going. But what do you do when you get to the point that you have everything you've ever wanted? And it's still not enough. That's the point that Solomon is. That he chases after everything that you could think you wanted. Everything his eyes desired in terms of possessions, in terms of people. And it's not enough. It's not enough. So what do you do when you get there? And you've achieved and accomplished everything that you've dreamed of, and you're still not fulfilled. Well, here's what Solomon did. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been 
done. And Solomon says, I've accomplished everything. I accomplished everything I desired, everything I've dreamed of, and it wasn't enough. So what do you do? And then he turns inward. And he turns inward to his, his thoughts. And he thinks about wisdom. And he thinks about folly. What does he arrive at? There's nothing new. The frustration that there's nothing new to do. The frustration when you've experienced it all and it still doesn't satisfy. That's where he is. Because growing up, we think, well, if I just get this car, if I get this house, if I get this job, or if I go on this vacation, or if I marry this person, and the old car breaks down, I start to see the cracks in the house, the job becomes a burden, the marriage was a mistake, the vacation ends, you go back, but you've already seen it. I mean, that's nice, but you can't replicate the feeling of that first time. Then after a while, it just gets old. Then there's a new resort built. Go check that one out. That's fun, first time. And that starts to wear on you. That's where Solomon is. And maybe that's where you are. You're just wanting more. It just isn't enough. And why this matters so much is first and foremost because God created us to have a vibrant life. God does not want us to end up in this place. And why this also matters is because when we end up in this place, we recognize I'm not supposed to be here. And so we try to numb the pain or we try to fix it. But so often what we go to fix is what got us in this position in the first place. And so frequently what we do when we try to mask or to reduce this is we just multiply our mistakes. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly. As there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool who will happen to me also? Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this is also vanity. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after Wind. So Solomon's just left where nothing in the world has satisfied him with his own thoughts. And he arrives at the point where he says this, you know, as I look at everything, it's better to be wise. It's better to be wise. Your life's going to go better if you make wise choices. And we all know that your life is going to go better if you make wise choices. But Solomon says, ultimately, even the wise are going to die. Even the wise are going to die. It's better to be wise. It's better to walk into the light. 
But even the wise and even those who walk in the light are going to die. This is kind of the moment that, that Solomon remembers here when for the first time in our lives we recognize, ah, oh, my parents did kind of have an idea. Now, don't get me wrong. They weren't perfect and they had all kinds of, but yeah, they, they kind of had an idea of what they were talking about. That's kind of the, the moment that Solomon goes back to here. Oh, yeah, it is better to make wise choices. It is better to walk in the light. But nevertheless, they're still ending up in the same place. So what is his response? It's to hate life. it seems like there's no difference. It seems like it doesn't matter. It seems like there's no purpose. When the things that used to satisfy and they used to fulfill no longer do. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. He's reaching his breaking point. He's reaching his breaking point when he looks out and he says, yeah, I've been wise, I've been skillful, I've made great decisions, and you know what happens? I die, and I leave this to an idiot who didn't earn it, who doesn't deserve it, and I've got no control over it. So what is the point? He hated, he hated his life, he hated his effort when he realized that his legacy is ultimately empty because no matter how great the empire you build, it's going to crumble. And ultimately says, I'm just going to be leaving everything to be enjoyed by others. And I just, I want to pause right here. I just want to pause right here and I want to give some of you an invitation. Because I want to remind you that all of this is written by Solomon, but it's inspired by God. Which means God is big enough to handle our thoughts, and our feelings, and our disappointments. And sometimes we feel like, I have to have it all together. And I don't know about you, but when I read Ecclesiastes chapter 2, it is clear to me, it is clear to me that Solomon doesn't. And this is inspired. And so this is an invitation for us to just be authentic. To be authentic people with one another. To even more importantly than that, be authentic people with our Creator and talk to our Creator about our hopes and our dreams and our disappointments and our frustrations. That's what's going on here. And I just want to give you the freedom to do that, that God is big enough to handle your disappointments. He's big enough to handle your fears and your frustrations.
You don't have to have it all together. Don't try to impress us. But even more importantly than that, don't try to impress God. He sees you as as you are. He knows you and he loves you. You can be authentic and you can be real. Solomon is for us right here. And he goes on. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This is also vanity. Maybe you found yourself in a situation like this. A comedian named Artie Lang had. In his book called Too Fat to Fish, which is still one of the greatest book titles I've ever encountered, he chronicled in detail one of his two suicide attempts. I'm going to read it for you this morning. When I was 28 years old, I tried to commit suicide. On the first Friday in November 1995, after the last taping of a long week, I reached the end of my sanity. I could not deal with the physical illness and feeling of emptiness, the loneliness and boredom and apathy. By midnight, I started thinking about it. And at 2 a.m., I finally did it. I called my dealer and met him. I bought a little more than an eight ball, which would last me the entire weekend. I went back to the apartment with the Coke and two-fifths of Jack Daniels. I had some sleeping pills around to make sure I went to bed at some point. My plan was to get some relief, just do a little Coke to feel better, but not jeopardize my health or my job. It didn't quite work out that way. I stayed awake all weekend alone in that apartment, snorting blow and drinking whiskey. In that state, coked and drunk to the gills, I made the worst and darkest decision in a life filled with embarrassing decisions. I came to the conclusion that the only way out for me was suicide. And to this day, I still cannot believe what I did. I went to the bathroom and got all 30 of my 10 milligram tablets of Restoral, a powerful sleeping pill. I also took out a bottle of Excedrin PM and another pint of whiskey. I figured all of it together would do the trick. I laid it all out in front of me. Then I went and changed my shorts because after three days of sweating on the couch, the ones I had on stunk. I did not want to disgrace myself or my family further by being discovered in dirty underwear. I considered showering too. When I think about it, there's one thing that scares me most of all. I was 100% serious about dying. Once I'd crossed the bridge to killing myself, I didn't stop to rethink it once. I just barreled ahead. I had the drugs and booze laid out. Then I took some time to look in the mirror and clean up a bit. I sat down to write my note because what suicide would be complete without a note. I remember the note verbatim. It helps it was also short and sweet, just how I wanted it. Mon sticks. I cannot deal with my life. None of this is your fault. Do me a favor and keep on living. Maybe we will see each other again someday. Love, Artie. Without further delay, I took all 30 restorals and about 20 Excedrin PM and washed them down with the entire pint of Jack. I sat back on the couch, got comfortable, and waited. 
When I started to feel the effects of the drugs about two minutes later, my will to die did not change. But I had the weirdest emotional reaction. I was morbidly curious about what was going to happen and obsessively began going over the possibilities. This might be hard to understand, but I was actually excited and looking forward to whatever lay in store for me. I was about to learn the answer to the most asked question in the history of mankind. I was about to learn if there was a heaven or a hell, whether I'd see my father again, or if I'd just go to sleep forever and slowly rot away. I just sat there smiling as the drugs started to take over. My right arm started to shake while in my head I sang the opening line of the Sinatra song, My Way. And now the end is near. And so I face final curtain. And maybe you've been there. Or maybe you're there right now. Where it's not enough. Everything you've done. Everything you've accomplished. All of your achievements and all of your disappointments. All of your frustrations and all of your success. And you're just not fulfilled. And I'm begging you if you're there. I am begging you. Let someone know. I'm begging you. Don't take that way out. Luckily for Artie, he was discovered. But it still doesn't change the longing and the emptiness. And luckily for us, there is hope. Because Ecclesiastes 2 doesn't end there. It keeps going. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. And there we see the answer. There we see the solution. That God created us to enjoy life, but to recognize that in all our unfulfillment, in the longing that we all have, therein lies the answer. We can't fill that void. We can't do enough, but we were never meant to, and we were never designed to. And God made us so that we could enjoy life, that life is to be enjoyed, and we should find jobs that Fill us and bring us satisfaction and fulfillment. That is a blessing from God. That we are to find joy in all that we experience in this life. To eat, drink, and be merry. To recognize that yes, this life isn't perfect. And no, it isn't going to ultimately satisfy me. But it is something that God has given me an outlet that I can experience joy in my life. So how do I fill that longing? How do I fill that ultimate void? What can I do to make sure that I live life and experience life as God originally designed me to live and experience? And it gives us the answer right here. For to the one who pleases him, 
God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. The reason there's a longing and the reason that there's all this disappointment in Solomon's life is because of the disconnect from the God who made him. And that when we are connected with God, we don't have to accomplish everything. We don't have to achieve everything. We don't have to experience everything because we recognize our fullness isn't found in what we do, but instead who we are. We are children of God. That is our purpose. That is our fulfillment. We can accomplish and we can achieve everything that this world could ever dream of. If we're disconnected from that purpose, it will not be enough. And the question that you and you alone can answer is where do you find your joy? And my hope and my prayer for you is that it is found not because of what you can do, but because of who you are. And that is God's child. And you have found your peace, your personal relationship with Him and the sacrifice of our Savior Jesus. God, I pray that we would be people recognize there is one way to fulfillment. There's one path to peace. In a culture that tells us we just have to discover who we are, in a culture that tells us we just have to achieve this, in a culture that tells us we just have to accomplish things, in a culture that tells us we're defined by how much money we have or who we're in a relationship with, pray we would reject all those notions and we would recognize that our fulfillment is not found in what we do but in who we are as people created by a God who loves us and desires a relationship with God, that we, having that squared away, would experience all the joy and all the fulfillment that this life has to offer. May we chase after you and you alone, Jesus.